Monday, welcome back to What the Truck. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent, the dude, and uh, now we're in like conflict edition of this. Michael Vincent, this is the conflict edition. I mean, no, I mean like now are we, you we're conflicted? like we used to be in like the coronavirus like uh, yeah edition of stuff, and now we're in this whole conflict edition. It's been it's been really the rough. conflict edition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I woke up this morning, and said, man, it's a beautiful, warm day here and stuff like that. And oh yeah, there's that going on. It's kind of hanging over your head like back in the day. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the, you've all been following. The whole world's been watching the story in the Ukraine. Today, we're going to cover some of uh, the impacts that have been happening in the supply chain and among supply chain professionals as well. We're going to have some great conversations today and try to figure out what's going on in a, a really confusing time in this world. Now, I, I when I was a kid, I grew up in the tail end of, um, you know, I wasn't even a teenager in the 80s, you know. Yeah. I grew up at the tail end of the the Cold War. Right. And it's just, you know, I have five and seven-year-olds. It's just, it's just sad to think we've, like, out of nowhere, after, over the past couple of days now, suddenly we're thrust into this new Cold War. Yeah, absolutely. I, I myself grew up in the, the tail end of, of, of Vietnam yeah. and then through the, the whole Cold War stuff and just, you know, talking to my wife. It's like just the other day, I think it was either Friday or Saturday, it's like, you know, it, it, it watching everything going down, it hit me pretty hard, that old feeling. I, I remember that feeling of, hey, crap could just end tomorrow. Well, let me ask you something really quick. So over the weekend, though, I was following a lot of this news on Twitter, social media, um, and with earpods, this morning I had um, the, like the local news on, local yeah. like Chattanooga news on, yeah. and they started getting to the war, and I had my five-year-old was with me. I had to switch it over to SpongeBob before I took the shower. I'm yeah. still kind of sheltering from that. What approach are you taking with your daughters? Yeah, it, it's it's really it's really the same thing. I'm watching on my phone. I'm watching on my laptop. They're they're you know they're they're seven and nine. They don't need to deal with this stuff. I was dealing with that stuff just because, dude. There's no way to stay away from it when I was growing up at the you know yeah. 70s, early Stuck 70s, late like 60s, man. Vietnam, you saw it was all over the place. Yeah, younger people, if you, if you look at like older schools and, and you, you check around the walls, there's there oftentimes, especially right outside of it, there's these old like fallout shelter symbols. And Duck that and was kind of like the specter that was always in the back of your mind. But we're going to get into a lot of stuff today. We have Amy Daniel, co-founder and CEO at Windward. We're going to look towards their data to help us understand what's going on in the water, especially as a result of this conflict and what predictions we can look towards in the future. John Calloway, president at Logix talks about the growing allure of getting into the power-only market. He's also going to talk about uh, his ice cream alliance, which is a really interesting concept at saving shippers 97% on on-time scores. Elizabeth Simpkins from Traveler is going to talk about food shipping insurance. We'll get into some of the news. But first things first, got to tip the band, then we're going to get right into some of this Ukraine coverage with a great guest. Surge Transportation thinks non-competes are stupid. Non-competes chase away good talent and stop talented people from joining the supply chain industry. Tear up your non-compete. It's not enforceable. Email jobs at surgetransportation.com instead and do what? Open your office tomorrow. Right. Now let's bring up our first guest. It is Oleg. It is Oleg Yenchek. He's the co-founder and CIO of Sleek Technologies. Oleg, thank you for taking a little time to meet with us today. Thank you for having me. Now, Kirk reached out to me over the weekend, Kirk Purcell, a colleague of mine over here, and he said that um, you had great insight into the Belarus market, you know transportation. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? What perspective are you coming from? Yeah, I grew up in Belarus, and uh, I guess the tail end of the uh, Cold War as well from the other perspective, um, and then moved to the U.S. in 1999. 
and got into the supply chain here, uh, did a little bit of research and internships in, in Germany there to, to understand what the supply chain was doing in, in Europe. And uh, then kind of, you know, started to, to apply all my knowledge here in the United States and started Sleek Fleet as, as a result. Yeah. So um, looking at what is going on there, one of the questions obviously in our, our industry is what are the impacts that are happening uh, uh, from from this war here in Ukraine, uh, the impacts uh, the impacts on the supply chain, I should say. Yeah, there's there's several things that uh, we have to pay attention to right now. Some of them are kind of easy to understand and then follow. Um, you know, the big one being oil and uh, supply of mm-hmm. diesel and what the the, the fuel costs are going to look like because of all the uh, supplies that Russia holds. Second one is just direct trades, right? Ukraine is a big, big partner, trading partner with Russia, with Turkey, with, you know, China and a a lot of other countries, including the U.S., right? So what's going to happen there? So you got to understand that everything is going to start shifting. um, And uh, it's not just about the, the, the first supplier, right? It's tier one and tier two suppliers as well that are Mm going to be involved. Uh, So that's, that's a huge piece to look at. Now, Oleg, with your with your background being from Belarus, um, what kind of insight can you shed on this conflict just from from being over in that region? How, how long do you think this persists? What kind of what kind of personalities, national personalities, are we talking about here? Especially now that Belarus, it's seemingly right, Russia just announced Belarus is going to get pulled into this thing. Well, they're trying to get them. They're into trying it, to get them pulled sure. into it. Uh, what's your perspective on that on that region? What should our viewers know, sort of, about the, the zeitgeist and what's going on there? Yeah, and my, my personal view is that Ukraine and Russia are the, like the two closest nations to Belarus itself. And Belarus has always been very neutral, uh, which is kind of interesting to see that they're actually getting dragged in a little bit more into this one than they've ever been. Right. But now from the other side, you can see Switzerland is getting dragged in from being very neutral in the past as well. So obviously, this is a big conflict. Uh, resolution wise, unfortunately, it's very hard to see. There's a lot of moving pieces going on right now. Um, I think you guys talked a little bit about the talks in uh, on the border of Belarus and Ukraine that just happened today. I think there's still a little bit of uh, filtering to do here as the uh, parties kind of go to, you know, to their respective uh, regions and, and talk it over with the, uh, uh, you know, whether it's Putin and his team on the Russian side, as well as uh uh, the president of Ukraine on his side as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, what they're, they're talking about these type of things and I know you're not a political expert or anything like that, but what are the chances that there's a, there's a, there's, there's peace that comes out of these talks, right? I mean, we were talking earlier going, man, how do you back down from something like that? How does this deescalate? Unfortunately, I mean, it has to be a chance, right? If, if there is yeah. a small chance, you Right. Like that's that's my personal view. I think, you know, I, think I, I agree with agree with you hundred percent. If there's any chance at all, do it. Yeah. So, you know, as, as far as the demands and what's being discussed, uh, it's probably a little bit hard to tell because some of the underlying kind of uh, conflict and, and the beginnings of it, what happened behind the, the closed doors, we're not we're not aware of that at this point of time. I'm hoping it comes into the open so we can all tell what's going on. I know that uh, Belarus is a part of that right now, which is. Again, very strange for the Belarusian part to, to be sort of on the Russian side in this case, right? Uh, but trying to act as a liaison and, and kind of in the middleman to, to, to try to make peace once again, because the last treaty was signed in Minsk, right? And I don't know if you guys remember or not, but um, after the, the, the last conflict that happened mm-hmm. eight years ago. 
Yeah, I mean, look, uh, this is one of the last things the supply chain could use right now was a conflict like this. But what are some of the runoff effects? I know you look at uh, procurement, right, predominantly. What are some of the runoff effects, though, of like, for example, Swift shutting out, shutting out Russia? That's got to create cash flow problems, not just for Russia, but for partners who worked with them previously expecting cash out of Russia. What do you think the, the wide standing longer effects will be for at least on the procurement side? Oh, it's way more than people give it credit to right now. It's a ripple effect, right? Like, yeah. you know, a lot of times you probably guys talk about it on, on your show, right? Like the snowstorm happens in in, uh, in the Northeast, right? All of a sudden we don't have trucks in Florida. Why? Right? Because the plant shipments from Northeast didn't come to Florida, right? Because of the snowstorm. So it's very similar here. It's, it's, it's once again, it's not just the, uh, the direct supplier, right? You're dealing with a tier one and tier two. You're dealing with a huge IT infrastructure that's supporting a lot of the offshore IT accounts in Ukraine right now. I mean, I've talked to some of our smaller carriers, right? They've got their dispatch departments outsourced in there right now. They're struggling, right? So they, you know, once that starts to kind of trigger the trigger those effects, right? If, if China all of a sudden starts to buy a lot more from Russia because Europe is not, right? Like that's a huge change and it doesn't just overnight fix itself in the supply chain. It needs to work itself through and optimize itself again. And, you know, unfortunately we don't have the uh, technology yet in the supply chain to, to do it overnight. Yeah, you're exactly right. Talking with uh, Zach Strickland here on Friday, looking at what are the effects that are immediate here in the U.S., and they're just they're just not there quite yet, right? It'll take some time for it to be there. One of the big things, uh, though, talking last week was that uh, Ukraine is a huge. It's like the breadbasket of Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And so for for many, and right now it's kind of. If there is an advantageous time, now is it because, you know, you, you have less production that is going Over the on wag, right the, the wheat and the Of the wheat and, yeah. and, and that type of stuff, right? But so what is the effect there? That, I mean, now they're going to have to get it from the U.S. and some other places there if it goes on much longer, right? Yeah, and that's, that's what exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, there's some steel hydrocodon that's involved as well, right, and some other pieces, you know, some other materials, and, and uh, they're going to have to be sourced somewhere else. And anytime you pull it from one part of the supply chain, right, the other one struggles. So, I mean, it's just we're going to have to, as supply chain leaders, we have to stay very flexible and resilient right now and utilize as much, you know, data as we can, as much technology as we can to, to try to prevent this from, from getting worse for everybody in the world. Well, Oleg, hey, we appreciate you giving us some insight on what's going on there. Obviously, if you have family in the region um, or anyone who's in the region, yeah. where you know our thoughts and our, and our prayers are obviously with you. If you want to learn more about you and they want to look at some of your procurement data, where should I send them to? Slicktechnologies.com, our, our website. Thank you, Oleg. Cool. Thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Oleg. Scary times, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very difficult perspective from from Oleg as well, right? I mean, with his his homeland country being involved in this whole thing. Yeah, very and a good point about sort of the the procurement side. Uh, these sort of ripple effects, just having to change wheat production and delivery of wheat. All of that yeah. siphons away capacity, not actually from Russia. We're over here in the United States, we're already at what like twenty percent tender rejections. We've still been trying to build out capacity over the past couple of years. You've seen how rates have gone. So this certainly isn't going to help. No, it certainly isn't, and it's interesting to when you, as you dig longer and you you talk to more people, you find out more ways that this actually does uh, start to harm the whole world and supply chain. Even you know, hey, cut off their banks, cut up them off from Swift, and like yeah. you just pointed out, that has ripple effects too, huge implications, especially in a cash flow heavy business yeah, yeah. like ours. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of partners. I mean, I know Russia. I think it represents like maybe one percent of trade to the United States. Yeah, but they're huge. But it's imbalanced in certain categories. Yes, and one percent of trade is still massive. It's 
sort of like during, like one percent of the population dying during COVID. And you're like, well, that's actually a gigantic number. It's actually <laughs> so a gigantic like, number, yes. and maybe one percent directly into the U.S. But all of their other trade relations yeah. rely on that that we then trade with, right? Yeah. So it's that ripple. And I don't, I don't mean one percent of the population died during COVID. I mean that people are saying, well, what if it only hits one percent? Yeah, exactly. these numbers are huge at scale. That's still huge. All right, yeah. our next guest. We're going to talk a little bit about. We'll get back to our Ukrainian coverage in a minute here. Uh, but we're going to talk about Elizabeth Simpkins, regional underwriting officer in the Marine Transportation at Travelers. Mm-hmm. About another segment on the show, we're talking a little bit about food. We'll be talking about the Ice Cream Alliance, but with her, we're going to talk a little bit about food insurance. Elizabeth, thank you for coming back on the show. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into things here. Sure. So I'm Regional Underwriting Officer for Transportation within Inland Marine at Travelers, focusing on growing that book with us and servicing our existing clients. Yeah, so um, you know, let, let's talk about the the food situation here. So, what what really should be should Constantine's and customers uh, do if they find their you know w- with this? What is what are the importance here? Yeah, well, you know, kind of setting the stage for us when we talk about food shipments, it starts by addressing seal integrity, right? Uh, it's very critical for food shipments or even those non-food shipments that are still temperature sensitive, such as pharmaceutical. So that intact seal provides the peace of mind that the product inside is in good condition. Conversely, a broken seal means uh, some different things could have happened. Was it from an inspection? Was it some kind of a breach? Maybe it was contamination, theft, pilferage. You know, all of those things can create concern that lead to points of contention. And more often than not, parties will want to reject that load when the seal is broken because of that fear of contamination. You know, and then in the situations where you actually do confirm contamination or adulteration are there, those loads are often destroyed because they can't be entered back into the supply chain for use or consumption. Adding to all of that, you know, we see shipper agreements now that are speaking directly to seal integrity, and they're making motor carriers liable for those losses. So one thing to note, really, is that the FDA's own commentary, when the Food Safety Modernization Act regulations came out, they indicated the broken seal by itself doesn't really constitute a claim. Their final rule, and I'll, I'll go ahead and cite it just because it's pretty clear, it clarifies in the Federal Register, a broken cargo seal or any evidence of food cargo tampering would not necessarily create a per se presumption of adulteration. So simply put, the shippers still have a duty to actually prove damage or loss has occurred. And that's how we look at those claims as well, case by case. We determine if there's actual damage, and we look to be sure that our client is not being held responsible for something that they shouldn't be. All right, so what should I do if I notice that a seal's been broken or I think that the shipment's been tampered with or something that's claimable? Sure. Yeah, seal integrity, like we said, represents load integrity. So you want to check that the seal number is the same as when the shipment started and that that seal is intact. If we don't check it thoroughly, a consignee or a customer can sign for it at delivery if they later discover a problem, things can become complicated. And that's when it begins to get difficult to prove when and where the issue occurred and who is ultimately responsible. If you see that a seal is broken, your insurance company should be notified and a good company is going to advocate for the client. The burden of proof is on the shipper in that scenario, as we discussed earlier. They have to show the goods were tendered in good condition and arrived with loss or damage. Good stuff. So uh, how do some of our listeners uh, protect the seal from being broken in the first place? That's a great question. You know, we work with our clients to promote good seal practice at the start to avoid the breach of the seal and help prevent that potential contamination or theft. We encourage clients to use seal locks, 
and the additional layers of protection, you know, the more you can do, the better. For example, a high security seal, um, a lock there, which can't be easily breached, combined with a steel lock or a digital seal. Digital seals will actually send notifications if the doors are open. So those are great. Um, we also recommend that clients read and review any and all agreements they sign. There could be assumed liability in there for broken seals. And in those situations where they're contractually uh, taking on liability, we have created an endorsement that's going to respond to that broken seal loss. Cool. Very, very cool. Well, that's, that, that's very great. This is very important information. This has been a great discussion around food shipment in general and seal integrity in particular. Very important to keep in mind when transporting food, Michael Vincent. Yeah, absolutely. Delicate perishables. Thanks yep. for talking with us today, Elizabeth. Take it easy. Thanks, right. guys. Take care. Thanks. Next, Thanks, joining Elizabeth. us next will be John Calloway. He's the president over at Logix. John, uh, wow, John's sister company, Safeway Carriers, comprised primarily of Russians and Ukrainians, all immigrants that uh, you can presume. Let's bring him on. We'll, we'll, we'll get into a bunch of important discussions today. John, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here, guys. Nice to see you both again, and thanks for having me. Some wild times indeed, man. It's, uh, it's yeah. the last couple of days have really changed, right? Have really changed everything for everybody, and it's massive. But, um, you know, I kind of mentioned your sister company over there, so why don't we start over in Russia, in the in the Ukraine? Tell me a little bit about Safeway Carrier and um, how this has all been impacting you and, and your companies. Absolutely. Well, to start, Safeway Carrier has uh, been around for uh, the latter part of a decade, but um, yeah, they're primarily uh, employees that are either from Ukraine or Ukraine and Russia, um, and they are the largest hotshot carrier in North America. And these past few years, they've expanded into the drive-in and temperature-controlled space as well. Uh, but speaking towards <laughs> you know the the chaos that we're seeing in the world today, um, our owner. Bogdan Golzinski uh, actually left this morning to fly out to Warsaw, Poland. Uh, and when he lands there, he'll be getting into a sprinter van and driving supplies over to the Ukrainian border. Wow, that's uh, that's getting involved in, in in hitting home. Hopefully, he has safe travels and he's and he's effective there. I, I love to see the business community stepping yeah. up. Though we've seen a bunch of tech communities. We'll get that into that a little later, Michael Vincent. We yes. talk about the the impacts, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is crazy uh, when you start looking at what you can do and how you can serve. And obviously, physically getting your body over there is a huge aspect of that. Uh, but as a whole, I mean, whether it's Safeway Carrier or Logix, um, I think we've seen as of this morning around $30,000 injected into whether it's supplies uh, uh, get people over there, take their feet on the ground, renting equipment, things like that. Um, that's you know the capital that we've seen injected into it. But there's there's definitely still a need there, um, and they could use some help uh, in a lot of areas, like finding a cargo plane that will take relief uh, products that are already donated and in line and staged um, to get over to Ukraine. Wow. Yeah. So the logistics uh, community stepping up to provide capacity to move some of these things there that are meant for humanitarian aid and, and so on and so forth. Agree with you 100 percent. Please. Uh, we Hopefully there's people setting up ways to get in touch with people. Do that. John, how do you see this impacting uh, the shippers that you work with, though, and LogX and sort of the supply chain that you touch? Well, uh, we all know that, you know, the countries over there have a uh, 
somewhat of a firm grasp on the energy sector, uh, so to speak. So when you look at the rising cost of everything that we're currently seeing in this inflatory state, um, which I'd argue that we're, it's not in a, a transitory state anymore. We're, we're here and we don't know how high it's going to go. But, um, you know, our biggest worry is the increasing cost of fuel uh, along with labor. Um, you know, you guys, I'm sure, are talking to many carriers and brokerage companies out there, but it's a variable that seems to be out of our control right yeah, it certainly is. Let's get into a little bit about what Logix is doing recently here and, and something called the Ice Cream Alliance that we were talking about. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. So as you know, most of the shipping community has felt um, in today's current climate, you know, there have been disruptions all over the place, right? Um, we already just touched on a few of them that have been put under the microscope over the past few weeks. But we have had a lot of conversations with our shipper customers about the problems that they're seeing within their supply chain, right? And we've taken those conversations and we wanted to turn them into solutions, right? We wanted to mm -hmm. not just leave them at the table and we wanted to put our feet on the ground and build action plans around them. So whether you're a small, medium, large size company um, that we work with, we, we took all of the conversations and said, hey, we're we're going to develop an alliance program, um, and we call it the Ice Cream Alliance, but it also includes those that produce deep frozen and frozen products as well. Uh, but the goals of the program are pretty simple um, and reflected around what most companies going into retailers want to see. And the first one is improve their score into retailers. Um, so today, Logix currently yields a 97% performance across all of our modes into major retailers, and that includes consolidation, LTL, and full truckload. The second is controlling their costs. Uh, so when you look at warehouse costs and transportation costs, um, a lot of these small to mid-sized companies just don't have the volume to get discounts the way that larger or enterprise level companies can, right? So what we've done is aggregated all that volume and pitched it to our carrier partners on the warehouse and transportation side, and in turn are you know giving those savings back to our customers, which typically yield between an eight to fifteen percent cost savings off their transportation costs. Well tell us um, about it though. John, John, hold on. John, we're, let's not go too sure. far in the weeds with this. We just kind of want to know the concept here. Uh, but so the concept sure. of this, right, and you've improved the, the 97% on it, but um what's the shipper response been and how is it working out? And um why do you think these sort of like commodity networks are uh, are a great idea? Yeah. So when you look at how it works, I mean really what we're doing and again consolidation programs are new to the world. Right. If you've been in transportation long enough, you've seen them, I'm sure. But really what we do is take the volume from vendor one, two and three, consolidate it in a central location and then move it on a truck uh, to the respective retailers, whether it's retailer A, B or C. Okay, I guess what yeah. I meant was, look, why in particular are these commodities good for this type of network? Not so much what networking and combining is. Oh, sure. We already know that. Right, yeah, right. I was like, Tim, what are we doing here, man? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Why in particular ice cream? Why is that a good commodity yeah, for why this ice cream? Yeah, well, I think it's an underserviced industry in the transportation market, but it's a fragile commodity, right? Nobody really wants to touch it. So if you're overlapping the sensitivity of the product itself with 
capacity, at least open capacity in the marketplace, it's very slim. So there's a huge need for somebody to step up and service that commodity uh, in the marketplace today. Yeah, I would imagine that the shippers are, are quite uh, keen to this type of thing as well when they know that a specific type of commodity that has these specific requirements outside the room like this are all going to deliver at the same appointment, right? Promotes efficiencies there as well. Absolutely. And we all can go to the grocery store and you could probably pinpoint you know, the, the three largest ice cream producers in North America. And those are, you know, they're great products. I'm not going to bash them. But when you look at, you know, kind of, let's just say the American dream, right? Entrepreneurs, it's really hard to become successful and grow your brand or your business in today's uh, marketplace because it's been monopolized heavily. So what we want to do is really disrupt that and bring sustainable and scalable processes to their table, to the C-suite within those respective companies and say, hey, we have a solution for you. You don't need to be put in the corner and let your business be run to the ground. Not willingly, obviously, but know that there are, are options out there that will allow you to grow in the way that you want to and not be bogged down by the disruptions that we're feeling in the logistics and supply chain space today. Mm-hmm. Hey, John, how come, um, so one thing we've been hearing from a lot of people, it seems like every other day a broker is reaching out and saying, hey, we're adding uh, trailers, we're adding power-only solutions, yeah. those kind of things. Why uh, Why do you think so many are getting into assets and getting interested in picking up uh, trailers? And obviously the market's good, so I think we know that part. But uh, will they be in for a rude awakening if the market drops out? I think they could potentially be if they don't have the right carrier relationships in place because the majority of these companies, right, and that same goes for us, uh, are just buying the, the trailer asset itself. And with the rising costs associated to moving the tractor, you know, I just don't see, unless you have a relationship like ours, so to speak, which a lot of companies do. But um, for example, you know, Safeway Carrier, we touched on that at the beginning. Our model is really tied close to them as well. Uh, we're not registering any tractors to Logix, right? Um, we're a brokerage company. We're not going to jump into that, but um, we've really diversified who does what here. And Logix mm-hmm. is making the investment on the is making the investment on the trailer side. Safeway's making the investment on the tractor side, and it's been proven. Obviously, we have a lot of overlap and open communication, um, which isn't common between a lot of brokerage and carrier companies. Uh, it's making this work out exceptionally well. We've been doing it for over a year and have really been able to control our costs. But speaking towards when we start seeing market downturns, there's going to be some give and take, right? Because when when Safeway starts running into you know some issues and they need trailers, Logix can hopefully afford to transition some off and vice versa. When we need additional capacity to support our growing customers, they tend to pump right into our solutions as well. Yeah, so the two different aspects going from a power-only carrier or concentrating more on that into a, an asset-only or tractor-only in your brokerage side, you can then have the flexibility to go back and forth between those those two. Is there a bigger and bigger demand by the shippers for that type of service, for just the, the trailer or the power-only, or does the shipper really not care? It's just a solution that fits into their already existing uh, operations. Well, I think the the major disruption that's occurring today and what's warranting drop trailer solutions or power only solutions, regardless of who's investing in the trailer itself, uh, is lack of infrastructure. People can't find space to grow their uh, their docks. 
they can't find warehouse space available to accommodate all of their product. So what do you do? You you go around, find a, a dirt patch a mile down the road and basically use that as your warehouse, but you're utilizing the trailer space. So it, it's flexible. It you know, allows them to grab trailers when they need them. It allows them to control their costs without injecting a ton of capital into you know new infrastructure. But mm. there may be a bottle, bottleneck down the road um, once we start seeing this whole program be injected on a larger scale. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, uh, John, thank you so much for your for your insights today. Um, I know that uh, I think your brother applied for a, <laughs> a, a job with me. Those out there, we are uh, doing our first we're doing our resumes. We've got, gone through I went through a bunch of resumes this weekend. Um, I'll be going through more. But if you're looking to join the new site that we're building over here back to truck up, it's going to be like the Barstool store. Barstool Sports of Freight. Right on. Reach out to me, tduner at freightwaves.com. There's two positions open, one for a uh, more write-and-focus creator, one for more of a social media content creator kind of thing. But we're launching that uh, in the spring. So get on it because we're making decisions soon because i got to go to Disney World next week, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hopefully. You don't want that weighing over your head. Well, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Jordan. Hey, if people want to reach out to you, how do they do so? You can reach out to me directly at john at logicsinc.com. Or you can send an email to info at logicsync.com and somebody from our team will get back to you. John, thank you so much for your time today. Take it easy, sir. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, John. Well, with fully furnished state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response for your fleet from Love's Truck Care and Speedco. To learn more about their roadside assistance, hey, go to loves.com immediately after this show. All right, let's bring on Emmy Daniel. He is the co-founder and CEO over at Windward. And uh, I'm looking at the out the background of his window. Where are you sitting right now, sir? First of all, boom, I'd like a trip to Disneyland, so I'm not sure if that role is still open. (laughs) 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 I haven't been traveling properly for two and a half years, so I would kill right now for a trip to Disneyland. And actually, I want to go to Euro Disney in December, and then we had COVID and Christmas. Oh, my gosh. I'll tell you, by the way. Oh, well, oh, it looks, it looks right. beautiful. It looks it well look beautiful. lit up nice, tonight. Um, nice I got to tell you, this trip is we initially were supposed to go in March of 2020, and it's just been kicked down the road because of COVID until now. And um, I hopefully it, does, it might get canceled because of World War III. Who knows? I, hope, I really hope we're all watching the world. I hope cooler heads prevail. Before we jump into anything, though, what is sort of like the tone in, in, uh, in Tel Aviv right now about what's going on in the world between Russia and Ukraine? You know, um, first of all, we have a team in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, many of the Israeli companies have teams in Ukraine because Ukraine has a long legacy of uh, of uh, Jews living there. And also the Zelensky, the, the president, although Putin says he's a Nazi, well, he's kind of Jewish. And, mm. you know, his family was in the Holocaust, so he's kind of not Nazi there. Yeah. Um, I think everybody here is super connected, both from a family perspective as well as a work perspective, what's happening in Ukraine. Um, I think we're all pretty worried, I have to say. Um, and I don't think anybody thinks that this is going away today or tomorrow. Uh, on another side of our business, which you probably probably not aware of, we have we work a lot with governments as well on with banks and traders and sanctions compliance. And it's been a an earthquake, earthquake uh, uh, over the last you know week. You had tanker rates gone up four hundred percent in two days, man. Four hundred percent, basically. Basically, you've had every Russian ship, ship owner, trader lifted out of the market in a heartbeat. Uh, and, and I think this is an earthquake. Also, the containerized shipping side, you've seen Maersk uh, say they're, they're considering not to ship in and from Russia. 
So, you know, this is big time, man. I don't know if it's World War Three, but it's one, something we haven't seen. The trade, the trade just canceled some calls over there, too. I just saw yeah, the notice from uh, Ocean Network Express. They said, we're not going into certain ports into Ukraine and Russia. And, like, these, these whole things are going to expand. This thing, I mean... War's gone viral now, right? Like you, the way war is portrayed with this, and and business leaders, there's pressure from all sides to do something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and you know, also, also in every one of us, uh, I think there's there's question is, do our values follow our money, or do our money follow our values? And I think it's a very big question to every business leader, but also to every consumer. And I think all eyes are on all business leaders. What are you going to do about that? Um, I think there's a short-term thing and there's a long-term thing. And I'm pretty worried about the long-term thing actually as well, not just the short-term thing. Obviously also about lives, but you know, we've been helping our team uh, in Ukraine. We've paid them two months upfront uh, on, you know, just, just to help them with more cash if they need mm. more fuel or food or whatever. So, hey guys, here's the money. We're helping them, those who, are, who want that to relocate to Poland. Uh, and we're going to give them, help them uh, resettle in Poland, in Warsaw. Uh, which was their choice, but we want to help them as much as we can. And we also said to everybody in the world, and, and if everybody watching right now, if you are dealing with shipping and trading and you need help, um, we're offering our platform for two weeks for free for everybody who wants to try and figure this out. I'm telling you, everything needs figuring out right now. It's a, it's a big thing. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, and, and what I, I wanted to ask you was, you know, we, we talked about the immediate impacts, the 400% rise in the tanker, right? Yeah. And Maersk possibly coming out of this thing and the cutoff and yep. the ripple effect of different supplies that do come out of exports out of Russia. But, uh, th- this conflict, what are the what are the longer impacts on ocean shipping? Is this like a, a, a even if it goes long, does does capacity rebound and be able to catch up to this? Yeah, I don't think it's a capacity thing, I have to say. Uh, I, I, I would, you know, our chairman, Lord Brown, was COVP, and, and he taught me something about this. The world is just getting more complicated, not more simple. So I, f- from my perspective, this is another uh, element of that. So you've seen the last two years, and everybody knows that, and you guys have a great podcast, and mm-hmm. they're super cool, you know that. But freight rates are like up 1,500% on containerized goods. Reliability is as low as it has ever been in the history of mankind. Uh, uh, plus we all know that there's a black swan now every other month. Once it's a vessel in the Suez Canal, now it's a war in Ukraine, it could be COVID. So I think all of that supports the long-term thinking of if you're thinking about, if you five years ago, you would think about future-proofing your business. Now you're thinking about what do I need to do to stay alive? Mm. Um, and I think to do to stay alive, you need to digitalize, you need to use AI, you need to use technology. Because the world is changing so fast. If you're going to stay in the same spot, you're not going to live. And I think uh, it's true for the uh, for freight forwarders. It's true for probably cargo owners and logistics professionals. It's true for shipping people. And it's just getting more complicated, man. So let me ask you this. In predictive data, right, we've gone through multiple Black Swan events. It's just like an endless series of two years in a row of just things to mess everything up. To mess everything, how do you model for that? Like, how do you how do you know to put if I'm using like an ocean predictive data platform? How do I know any of this data that's showing me the future is going to do so with any accuracy, and we don't actually know what's going to happen next? I think it's a great question. Um, so, so I think Google spoke, speaks about that. There's something in in building software. It's very common to use continuous deployment, what's called CD, and continuous integration, what's called CI. But I think our approach in using deep learning is also CT, which is continuous training which means when you build uh, a deep learning or an AI model, 
to predict arrivals of vessels and containers. You cannot build it one, deploy it, and say, bye, I'll call you in a year. You need to train it continuously, probably every day or every week or every three days, because the model can only learn on what happened. So I, don't, I wouldn't expect any technology to be a crystal ball. However, if you build it properly, it can absolutely be impactful and be updated. Plus, remember, not everything changes in the world every day, right? Like every area can change, let's call once a week or once a month. So, so indeed, there's a butterfly effect and there is like a chain reaction. If, if, there's a, uh, if, if Ukraine shuts down, then some of the cargoes in a year, about 25% of the cargoes going to Felixstone, the UK, come through Ukraine. Uh, so that will impact that. But it doesn't impact all the rest of the 99% of the world, right? Mm. So we need to train it all the time. But I, I think in building AI models, slicing into small bits of the problems is useful because uh, otherwise it's just too hard to predict. And I really think that predicting the ocean arrivals is like a world scale problem I have not seen many people solve, if at all, I have to say. So, uh, uh, me, if I'm hearing you right, you would agree with uh, that, that, you know, adoption of this and utilizing the data, et cetera, is extremely important for analyzing quickly and deciding and being flexible right now, right? But adoption of it also means that it becomes smarter and smarter in the future, right? The more data points and the more issues that go through it, the more predictability it will have ingrained in it, correct? A hundred percent. There is an article, uh, which is super interesting, called um, Vertical AI by Bradford Cross, uh, and I think Bradford Cross from DCVC in Silicon Valley speaks about what's the difference between horizontal AI or general purpose AI, um, uh, if you will, to vertical AI. And I think this is, a and, and, and basically to build a vertical AI, in our case, maritime AI company, you need a few things. One of them is proprietary data. The other one is domain expertise. But you also need a full product cycle. And you need to constantly improve with customer feedback. And if you can achieve these things, you can constantly improve that model. Obviously, the more customers, the more containers you track, the more ships, the more back-tested data, the better you are. And in that sense, us going in last week and launching our ocean freight visibility product based on our AI technology is not, I don't think of it as a new product. I think it's of it as another iteration of the platform we've been building for 10 years. So I feel very comfortable from where we, we were launching it. Although, again, I think this is a world-class problem, super complicated. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we're telling everyone to go build resilient supply chains, right? That's it's it's become buzzwordy. It's like go build resilient supply chains. That's like being told to go to bed earlier or to work out. At, <laughs> like, what does in I your do, mind? I, do go to bed earlier, I think. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, from your mind, what does a resilient supply chain look like, or what helps build some of that resiliency? Yeah, I think it's, you need to take a step back and think about being proactive, not reactive. So resiliency for me is about planning ahead, about understanding what you need to do. Where does it come from and what are your alternatives? Because I think the world has shown us in the last two years, something is going to go down. Something is going to happen. And if you don't do that and you don't have alternatives, you're not proactive, you're absolutely not going to be resilient uh, because things are going to smash your face. And if you actually look at this at this case of the war in Ukraine or in sweats, I think you can't think that you're going to run your business with business as usual. So if you be proactive, if you have that culture, if you have that technology, and you're not busy, you know, picking up the phone and calling people to find where things are, but actually can get that and spend your time on taking decisions and actions 
versus them gathering data, they'll be going a long way towards resiliency, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you, you've you've sold me why on, on AI and I, and, I've, and I need it, right? So there's there's plenty of places that I can go to and, and get some advice on this. Why Windward? Why, why are you guys the guys that I need to talk to? Well, because we're the best in the ocean shipping, period. Well, there you stop. go. There you go. Perfect. Um, if it, I think it's one question. You can go get a generalized solution, uh, uh, go to a supermarket and get somebody who gives you everything, or you can get the best of breed. I think both are viable alternatives that fit different people. But if ocean is important for, for you, and I think it is, I think that's what we're seeing last two years, freight rates and so forth, you want to work with the best. And the best in maritime AI are us. Wow. There you go. Well, you have seven years experience in the Israeli Navy. Let's talk about getting some of those ships and those supplies over. You know, we're hearing so many different businesses and communities uh, stand up. And as this week goes on and as as this conflict continues and this gets more and more uh, attention, more and more supplies and support are going to be want, want to be sent. What is the challenge right now, though, of getting cargo ships through Conflict C? First of all, when I was in the Navy, my ship got hit by a missile in 2006, wow. July 42. Uh, so it's July 14, uh, 8.42 p.m. Uh, so I absolutely know a thing or two about uh, uh, conflict zones. Uh, so you're, I think you're speaking to the right guy here. Um, I think, first of all, people need to want to do that. And I'm not sure I'm seeing that right now. So I'm not really seeing a lot of cargo ships full of support going into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, we've also picked up the fact that there are a bunch of Russian flotillas on the way to the Black Sea, and the Sea of Azov. So it's not that easy getting things across. And I think also the ports are really shut down right now. So with the ports shut and no operations, it's going to be really hard getting supplies in because I think the coastline has been surrounded by Russians at this point. So I actually don't think it's realistic getting anything from the coast uh, via ships right now. Maybe things will change right as, as, as time goes by, but I suppose not in the next few days. I would actually do it via land from Poland. I think that's your only shot. And, and Poland is a member of NATO. Now, is your, does your data, like, uh, how much visibility do we have on these enemy ships? I was looking at, like, I think it was a marine exchange map over the weekend. It was showing it just that someone had highlighted a ton of gray ships on there. So they weren't cargoes, they weren't tankers. And they're like, this obviously has to be some sort of Russian, uh, like maybe those flotillas. Are, are you seeing this kind of anomalies in your data of military activity? Yeah, uh, a big, you know, we're traded in London. We IPO'd in December, so you can take a look at our admission document, and our symbol is WNWD. Uh, and you'll see there that um, a lot of our customers are government customers, and, and maritime security is very important for them. Um, so I, I guess they might be using the platform to figure out what's happening around Ukraine, Russia. And also, we have a very important partnership with Planet, which is a Silicon Valley based company. Uh, for integrating their optical images with Hawkeye for RF satellites. So I think this is a long way to say absolutely yes, the customers who want to and sign up for that. Uh, this is the best open source platform in the world to figure out what's happening there. And yes, a lot is, is happening, I think. Not just in the Black Sea and, and the Sea of Azov, I think you should take a step back and look at what's going into there. Uh, one of the flotillas that come from the Middle East and from Russia, uh, and I saw it at Turkey said they're not going to shut the Bosphorus for military vessels uh, as opposed to early reports. And I've seen that the UK just said that they're not going to let Russian ships dock in the UK. And remember, there are 18,000 port calls a year in the EU by Russian vessels in the EU, UK, and, um, and the US. 
So I think this is nothing short of an earthquake, my friends, and it's going to go down really quickly. And we can catch up next week here to see, you know, what has happened, what are trend, what the trends we're seeing. We're going to publish a blog on this every other day to say this is what we're seeing that's going to that's going down. Now, is it possible to? I, I heard the suggestion online. It sounded interesting to me, just my knowledge of customs brokering, but I don't know if it would work. Can you just shut those ACE files for Russian vessels as a sort of as a as a border control, as an import control? That would work. Uh, I think it's the, so. The way this works is um, again, if I take a step back. Uh, you have very basic screening processes that are a must. So every time every freight forwarder, every cargo owner, every customs, every port, everybody in the, in, in the system, uh, every, every time they trade with somebody, they go through a very basic process of screening for blacklisting, adverse media, sorry, politically exposed person and so forth. Uh, the, the shipping folks do that with our platform, but there are many non-shipping folks. If you're blacklisted by the U.S., it's called OFAC, by the U.K., it's called OFSI, by the, by the EU, by Japan, and so forth, you automatically get highlighted in that, and the transactions get blocked. So you technically, on most IT platforms, cannot transact with somebody who's been blacklisted. So a good example would be Silicon Flood Shipping. They have 20, 229 tankers. They've just been blacklisted two days ago, and you can't really work with them, and that pops up on your platform, right? Um, you should also think about a trade finance perspective, uh, because for for actually for containerized goods, it's super important. And you you would see that Sberbank, which uh, uh, is Russia's biggest trade finance bank, and it's actually the big the, the fastest growing trade finance bank in Geneva in the last three years, has just been shut down completely from all uh, uh, all the international uh, trading system. So uh, absolutely yes, and this is happening. Wow. Well, hey. Thank you so wow. much for your insights that you share with us today. This is this has been really in, enriching. People who want to take up what you said about uh, about Woodward, where do we send them to? Uh, you're sending them to winward.ai. Uh, and again, uh, we appreciate this is a super sensitive time uh, in the world. Everybody who needs help in analyzing, understanding shipments, shipping, trading in the area can get a two-week free, no commitment access to our platform, our support. In times like this, leaders should step up and lean in and hopefully that's what we're doing with our community. So everybody's invited to uh, uh, reach out and use that. So winward.ai and I am AMI at winward.ai. And I'd love that trip to Disneyland right now with everything that's going down. <laughs> well, I'll keep right you in on. mind or I'll at least send you a picture from there or a postcard. <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for coming on today. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Take Thanks care. All right. Let's get to a little big deal, little deal. We'll send Let's you do it. Big deal. Little deal. All right. This is, wow. All right. When we see this video, so let's, let's play, let's have this video roll and I'll, I'll give you the big deal, little deal over and you can tell me if this is. Uh, roll that tape, please. Uh, Mass State Police report just before noon, they responded to a Western fire to a tra Western fire responded to a tractor trailer that had fallen off the road. If you watch that, that's in Weston off I-95 into the Charles River. We're watching a video right now for you audio listeners of this truck that just comes along this bridge. It looks like it's going really fast. It smashes right through. It hits the water violently. Like, it doesn't just hit the water. It jerks completely backward when it slams it down. It pulls them up. Um, but no injuries were reported. Big deal, little deal. This is a huge deal, man. I mean, yeah. look at that thing. This guy launched himself or herself 
Uh, yeah, obviously hit part of the bank. It looks he, like, you know, it was deep enough water. The water was shallow enough that it, I mean, it hit hard. Huge but, deal, especially for the, whoever the tractor manufacturer is. Talk I, I know. Safety. We, talk Whew. safety standards right there. I mean, no, like no concussion, not even, not even, I, I get, speaking How? of Disney, when I get off a roller coaster, you know, I'm, I'm sore the next day. Yeah, exactly. Bigger degree of difficulty here, too, is the the driver. It says here he couldn't swim. They found him on top of the vehicle. And again, completely fine. Completely. I mean, I don't know. Like, what happened? I don't know if the news just like, (laughs) if this news report just, it says no injuries report. That's from the state report. Maybe no. Zero? Yeah. That's, uh, well, I mean, alive and and well, no life-threatening injuries is amazing enough, even if he's got a scratch or two on him. Uh, is just incredible. But, yeah, it's a big deal. That's something to survive. And seriously. Uh, was that Rooster and Convoy who did that? Uh, didn't he go off a cliff like that? That is true. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very true. That's very true. So here's a, here's a big deal, little deal for you. DOT is, to, is considering oral drug testing options for truckers. For trucking, proposal could reduce cheating, but has some drawbacks, my friend, mm-hmm. is what the regulatory say. So uh, oral drug testing, my friend. Big deal, little deal. Yeah, I think it's a big deal. I think that a lot of people have been asking about this, especially as marijuana gets legalized in in multiple places across the country. The issue with marijuana is that um, the test is kind of not fair. It's asymmetrical versus other tests when marijuana stays in your system for a much longer time. It it doesn't show up in your system for a longer time, too. So you could be looking at like three to 67 days of marijuana staying within your system. Oh, really? Because, yeah, yeah, especially if you're a heavy user. Not that I'm saying heavy users need to be behind trucks, but this, what this law does does if they go to this testing and they stop doing the the urine testing is it means that a driver could recreationally uh, or medically use marijuana when they're not in service again just like drinking not advocating for anyone to be doing it while while driving but the oral test you can you can tell marijuana use instantly within 24 hours of use so they're right for a recreational user or for for i guess lifestyle users i don't know what is that a lifestyle drinker too uh, for lifestyle users i guess they can get yeah, away with it easier but it solves the problem of you being able to tell if someone is under the influence immediately. And if this is about safety, that's what we're trying to do. Not necessarily police what someone's doing in their backyard while watching uh, Ohio State. <laughs> Nobody we know. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I think it's a big deal as well because I think it brings it one step closer to us getting over the fact that, you know, you can go get blackout drunk last night as long as you're not drunk driving a truck. But if you smoke a doobie last night, then somehow you can't drive a truck anymore, right? Cheaper and that's too. been the problem. Cheaper, too. I guess the urine test is $50, whereas the cost of an oral fluid test, I know some people's concerns were, will this cost more money, et cetera. No, no it's $35, 35 right? Bucks. Um, this represents a potential saving of $6.3 million in the first year and $27 million by the fourth year, or in the fourth year. So, right yeah, I think yeah, it's pretty big, I'm man. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, so we covered a bit of this t- today. These are some of the sanctions. The UPS and oh, FedEx okay. halting shipments to Russia and Ukraine. One announced those booking uh, acceptance to and from Odessa, uh, um, from Odessa, Ukraine, and Novorysky, Russia, are going to be suspended with immediate, immediate effect until further notice. Keep an eye on all the carriers. I expect more to come in. He had mentioned sure. Merce there. I don't know if they've made an announcement yet, but keep an eye on all these carriers over yeah. these next couple of days. I'm sure you're going to be hearing announcements. Landstar has suspended operations there. Very big in Ukraine. Um, very difficult to find loads. I think there was something like 30,000 loads or something Craig had posted on, yeah, uh, that are, yeah, exactly. on Slack. Russia's getting cut off the world. We got the SWIFT um, sanctions on there, which is killing them uh, financially. We uh, lose, what, the rubles down less than a dollar. So mm-hmm. all of these responses, um, big deal, little deal, or enough or not enough maybe for this one. 
Well, I, uh, hopefully that it's enough. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm, I'm not going to say enough is enough because how do you say enough is enough in a situation like this? I think it's a big deal. I think it's a huge deal. I think it just goes to show that this type of stuff just is, it just doesn't make any sense in the world today, right? I mean, it's just a sheer stupidity or ignorance of, of this thing happening in the united front of the world. I think it's really, really good that it's happening. It's a huge deal, and we're all going to feel the effects of this, but united we stand, right? I mean, is the like with the ruble down at a dollar? This is me just spitballing. This isn't penny. based off anything. A down to less than a dollar, right? Down it, to uh, a nothing, cent. zero. Down to a cent. Yeah. Um, are they trying to destroy the petrodollar? Russia? Are they just trying to get completely off the the, the petrodollar? Ooh, I don't. I mean, is is that the end game? I'm, I'm just trying to figure out the end game. What, I don't what know. The hell because the end game is going to be good. And just just came across my thing here. They've been kicked out of the World Cup as well. Well, that seems about. I mean, kind of. <laughs> but it was still, questionable when we like when we had Sochi in the Olympics in, in 20, like yeah. So here's a, here's another one, and I think this one is important as well to ask: is yeah. a big deal, little deal. The vice prime minister of the Ukraine, of Ukraine, sorry, and the minister of digital transformation tweeted Elon Musk on Saturday. Uh, he tweeted him this: Elon Musk, while you try to colonize Mars, Russia tried. Russia is trying to occupy Ukraine. While your rockets successfully land from space, Russian rockets attack Ukrainian civilian people. We ask you to provide you. Ukraine with Starlink uh, stations and to address the same Russians to stand. Wow. And what happened? <laughs> yeah, well, he's Elon Musk going to do it. He says uh, Starlink services now active in Ukraine and more te- more terminals are en route. Big deal, little deal. It's an absolutely huge deal. Um, I think we've mentioned this. This is a war that's gone viral. It's a war that uh, most yeah. of this information is being spread on social media. And a lot of the things that are bringing us into this and getting us away from some of the, the propaganda, and don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a lot of different misinformation out there, but a lot of what's bringing us into it are these videos and pictures that are being uploaded by Ukrainians on the ground and showing us what, what is in there. And, you know, Amy addressed that propaganda about yeah. Nazis and stuff. I think I'll listen to the gentleman in Tel Aviv Right. In Israel telling me about who and who isn't a Nazi. Yeah, absolutely. Right? He had his sarcasm like pretty strong. There yeah, in the he's very like, beginning. I think we may know. Yeah, we may know here. who's a Nazi and who's not here in Tel Aviv. It's weird, though. There's people yeah. who are really buying that stuff and they're really beating that drama. And it's uh, it, it's dangerous. But what communication is vitally important during war. Elon Musk getting these terminals are really important. So you can't use the Starlink without the terminals. That's why it's vital that they bring the terminals in. But the, the face of war is uh, is changing. We need communication. We need those. Those lines open, be it good or bad, this is a circumstance where it could, it could, it could yeah. be for good. Tech community stepping up big time, too. More will be coming. We'll go deeper into this on Wednesday on What the Truck. Catch Freightwaves now tomorrow for uh, more insights. Yeah. As always, keep abreast of FreightWaves.com for your news. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Stay safe, man. Hug your loved ones and tell them how to be. Yeah, hey, spread peace and love. The world needs it. Peace and love. <laughs>